Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you again. I'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who was the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why. The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 5. We're looking at verses 1 through 18. Those are the verses that were just read. This is our Believe teaching series, working our way through the gospel according to John. The book of John was written. John tells us in John 20, 31, these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. We're talking about soul rest this uh, weekend. If you have your sermon notes, grab those. Take a look at the uh, psalm that I have at the top of those sermon notes. Psalm 3.1, David says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Exclamation mark. Many are rising up, are rising against me. And then when you jump to verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. That sounds crazy. I mean, he's under duress, he's under stress, he's under anxiety, and yet he's able to rest. He has this soul rest. Now where does he get that? We'll talk about that this morning. One of the greatest tests of your faith is when you are facing difficulties in your life and you're able to lie down and sleep at night and wake up refreshed 
and wake up uh, at rest to face whatever difficulties you may be facing that day, that week, that month, whatever it might be. It's called soul rest. In fact, there is a soul rest that all the sleep and vacations in this world can't give you and all the stress and volatility in this world can't take from you. Is there a lot of volatility in our world? Yeah, so there's a soul rest that all of the stress and volatility in this world cannot take from you. Do you hear me? <laughs> I know it's, it's, for some of us, you know, living, you know, in this pressure cooker world, we, we, we're wondering, is, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. In fact, we're going to answer three questions. And the first one is, why do we need it? I mean, that's pretty obvious. We're going to learn that from this text. How do we get it and what is it? So do you have that kind of soul rest? Do you have that kind of soul rest? Do you want that kind of soul rest? Yes, I do. Absolutely. And so let's, let's look at the first question, why do we need it, based on verses 1 through 7. Let me reread those. We'll kind of unpack this Walk through it slowly. Verse 1, after this there was a feast of the Jews and, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Before we move on, just think about this, this situation. Uh, this was probably a very undesirable place. Now, when I was on Phoenix Fire as a, as a paramedic, and now as a pastor, I've, and, and even before I was uh, with Phoenix Fire, you know, I grew up in the church, and we would visit nursing homes quite regularly. We'd go and sing and minister to the people. It's, it's really an unreached group of people, and of course, now with COVID, nobody can get in there, but we would go in and minister to them, and some nursing homes were really good, and some were really bad. And in fact, there were really troubling places to go into and really sad places. I, don't th I think this would be similar to a very undesirable place to go to, like maybe a, a really a, kind of a, a terrible nursing home experience, multitude of uh, invalids, some drooling, some talking to themselves, others crying in pain, most confined to wheelchairs or beds, waiting to die with a strong smell of urine and feces in this environment. In fact, my, my partner and I, while I was on the fire department, we actually shut down the nursing home because of how horribly run it and, and, and the way they didn't actually take care of the people. I can't help but think that this is that same situation. This is a troubling place. You walk in here and you're troubled. Your heart is, is ripped out. How can we help these people? Now, what's interesting as you continue to read, some manuscripts insert wholly or in part this next part, waiting for the moving of the water, so you have all of these, these uh, multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain uh, seasons into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease it, it had. So there was kind of this superstition. Later, uh, as people have done research on this, they believed that this surge of water, the, what stirred the water, was actually a surge of, of, of spring water that fed this pool. 
And, uh, and, and obviously, maybe there were people that were being healed through this, but, it, but that's what they all thought. And they were hoping to all get into the water first before anyone else. If you did, you were healed. Verse 5, and one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, most men didn't even live to be that old in, the, in these days. So 38 years is a long time, extremely long. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And it seems kind of like, why would he ask him that? Of course he wants to be healed. He's been there for 38 years. Well, that might not be the case. We'll talk about that. And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going another steps down before me. Now this had to have been really a gut-wrenching sight when the water is stirred and all of these invalids are racing to get into the water first. It would have been a horrible sight. So let's talk about this. Why do we need it? Here's your first fill in the blank. Our world of sin and suffering has a crippling effect on us. I think there's a bigger picture here. Verse 3, in these roofed colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. This is a picture of our fallen human race as it stands apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We are all a multitude of invalids broken by sin and suffering physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, all of us are in this story. All of us are here in the, next to the pool of Bethesda wanting to be healed. That's, that is, that's the truth of this story. And here's the next point on your notes. Everyone has a kind of pool we look to for healing. Verses 4 and 5. This pool called Bethesda, which means house of mercy, so in verse 6, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And notice how the, the sick man responds, verse 7, I have no one to put me in the pool. Now think about this. The God of the galaxies, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, is standing before him asking him, do you want to be healed? Now he doesn't know that, but the, the irony of this, and he says, yeah, I, if I could just get in that pool, I could be healed. Do you see the irony of that? If I could just get that, I would be healed. There's a tendency for us to find some kind of pull, figuratively speaking, and to put our hope in it as a source of healing to make us whole. Um, a pull that will heal us if we could only get to it before we are crowded out. This desire to get in the pool can drive us so much that we are, that our need for soul rest is incredibly difficult and burdensome because we're working so hard. And so it, it may go like this. If I only had, and you can fill in the blank, if I only had whatever it might be, then I could be made whole. My life would be complete. Now, by the way, we all tend to do this. Consciously or unconsciously, there's something deep inside of all of us. This is what drives our life. Our sense of meaning and purpose and happiness is based on something or someone. Otherwise, you, you, 
You have no meaning, hope, and happiness. You, you don't exist. You can't. You're not going to last. That's why people commit suicide. So we all have this. This is what keeps us going. So we all have a pool of Bethesda, so to speak, that we're looking to. If I only had this, if I only could get married, if I could, have, if I could only have a better marriage now that I'm married, or if, or if we could... If we were able to have children, we, we want to have children, we can't have children. If we can only have children, or maybe you have children and you're wishing that your children wouldn't fight all the time, okay? If we only had children that didn't fight all the time, that could be that fill in the blank. Or, or have children that will make wise decisions now that they're out on their own. Or get accepted into my dream college or make better grades in school or, or land that ideal job or, or get that promotion or make a lot of money or drive this kind of car or live, this kind, and live in this kind of home. If I could have any of those or one of those or whatever it might be in that fill in the blank, it would be like healing at the pool of Bethesda. This is what this guy is asking for. I have no one to put me in the pool. This is where I'm going to be whole. This is where I'm going to be complete. But everyone seems to get into it before me. I keep getting crowded out, and no one is here to help get me into the pool. That's his response. So, so our world of sin and suffering has a crippling effect. Everyone has a kind of pool we look to for healing. And this is where we end up. Here's the third, third point. We end up here. Life can become a relentless grind of nursing, cursing, and rehearsing. That, that's where we end up. So verse 6 do you want to be healed? Now, by the way, that's a yes or no answer, okay? Do you got that? Do you hear that? That's, that's all Jesus is saying. Hey, do you want to be healed? Yes or no? And the guy responds, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Do you hear the nursing, cursing, and rehearsing in that? You see, nursing is self-pity. I'm a victim. I have no one to put me into the pool. Cursing is anger and bitterness. And someone always gets into the pool before me. How dare them? There's that cursing. And then the rehearsing is reliving over and over again the what ifs and the if onlys of life. Now, every one of us here can fall prey to that. When things don't work out the way we had hoped or planned or thought, if I just had that, my life would have meaning and hope and I would have a, a sense of completeness, but now look where I am, nursing, cursing, rehearsing. The true tragedy isn't the paralysis of his body, but the paralysis of his heart. The relentless resignation that has set in, there is a futility to his life. He's built his hope on something that has never you know, come to pass. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it possible to experience soul rest in our broken world of sin and suffering? What do you think? Yeah, we, I mean, we did a whole teaching series at the beginning of this year, wholeness in a broken world. And in fact, the very first uh, teaching of this new year was brokenness. We talked about brokenness and, and this is what we, in, in dealing with, with brokenness, 
this is what we, we discovered is that, and we talked about this, and you hear me talk about this quite often, is that, that you have an inner life and an outer life. Listen to me, you have an inner life and an outer life. Your inner life is your character. Your outer life are the circumstances of your life. And it's not what happens to you, your outer life. It's not your circumstances, but it's what happens in you, your inner life, your character. Listen to me, that, that it either makes you or breaks you in life. What makes you or breaks you? It's not your outer life, it's your inner life. It's not your circumstances. You can nurse, curse, and rehearse all you want to, but it's not your circumstances. That's part of life. Sin and suffering. We have it all around us. And yet I happen to believe that God gives us something. He gives us a soul rest even in the midst of that. And in fact, it's your outer life that helps to shape your inner life if you will allow it. There's, uh, it's called the golden triangle of spiritual formation. It's, it's how God transforms us so that we can have soul rest and salvation and everything we'll ever need even though all hell is breaking loose around us. And the triangle of spiritual formation obviously has three sides. One side is the work of the Holy Spirit. The other side are spiritual disciplines, like what we're doing here this morning. When you read your Bible, you pray. Those are spiritual disciplines. But anybody know what the third side of that spiritual formation triangle is? The third side of this, this is all how God works in our life. And I can tell you exactly what he's up to in your life is that he wants you to do spiritual disciplines, depend upon the Holy Spirit, and it's typically through what kind of things in our life? Suffering, trials, difficulties, hardship. Yes, it's in the midst of that God works in our life. The Holy Spirit begins to apply the truths that we are learning through spiritual disciplines and transforms our lives. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's up to. If you're wondering, what is he up to? That's what he's up to in our lives. And in fact, you know... Your outer life is not shaping but breaking your inner life when you fall prey to nursing, cursing, and rehearsing. When you, you begin to nurse you know, yourself, self-pity, I'm a victim, cursing, anger, bitterness, rehearsing, reliving over and over again the what-ifs and the if-only. So, so how do you get out of this? So let's answer the next question. How do we get it? How do we get this soul care? So that's why we, we desperately need it. How do we get it? I'm going to give you ABCs. I think in this we can see ABCs of how to get it. Here's the first one, accept Christ's invitation. Accept Christ's invitation. Look at verse 6. And, and notice the verbs in this verse. When Jesus saw him, there's a verb, saw him, lying there and knew, there's a verb, knew that he had already been there a long time. He said, or he asked him, do you want to be healed? Do you hear the invitation? Now, now this is telling us something about our God, that he sees us. Well, just take a moment and think about that. No matter what you've ever been facing, he sees you. He sees and he knows. He knows what you've been going through. He, know, he knows how long you've been suffering. And now he asks you this morning, do you want to be healed? 
It's an invitation. No matter what you've been experiencing, no matter what you've been going through, he knows, he cares, and he's asking. He's asking, do you want to be healed? Do you want wholeness? Do you want soul care, uh, uh, soul rest? You want soul care? You want soul rest? We do soul care to get soul rest. And that's what he's asking. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest for your soul. That's an invitation from Jesus. Jesus said that. He's saying that to us this morning. He's inviting us to know and experience all that he offers. He's not going to force that on you. He won't do that, but he'll offer that to you. And you can respond to him. Now, why would Jesus ask him if he wanted to be healed? Doesn't that sound kind of strange? Of course he wants to be healed. 38 years? Well, he asked that because some people don't want change. I know it sounds crazy. I mean, I've, I've sat down people, sat down with people that want help, and then when I tell them the kind of the how-to of the help, I realize they don't have the want to. They really don't have the want to. I mean, uh, it was a number of years ago that I uh, saw a guy standing on the corner, and it said, he had a sign, we'll work for food. And so I said, okay. I stopped, said, you want to come over to my house? I got some work to do. Will you do that? And he goes, nope. I says, I'll, I'll pay you. I'll pay you really good money. I'll take care of you. No, this is easier. Then why do you have that on your sign? Well, I just do. So what was that about? Some people don't want help. Some people don't want healing. I've sat down with couples before and have one that has the want to. The other one could care less. And they're almost kind of like they're forced to, to, to go into this counseling appointment. And... Um, and too often, like this guy, maybe, maybe they want sympathy or charity or the community their misery brings. There's some sort of payoff for them continuing in the lifestyle that they're in. The want to always precedes the how to. That's why he's asking. And if you were to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Ray, I purchased lessons for you to go hang gliding or to parachute out of a perfectly good plane, <laughs> or to go up in, a, in an air, hot air balloon, I would say, no thank you for all three of those. Well, well Pastor Ray, why don't you pray about it? I don't need to pray about it. I believe in gravity, okay? Do you remember the story last week? Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not going to do that. I, you know, all the how-to is not going to do me any good because I don't want to. Do you hear that? And so all the how-to means nothing if you don't want to. The want to happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change or the pain of how-to. And I know that all of us have maybe relatives or friends they have to get to the place in their life where they want to. Because you can tell them all day long about the how-to, but you better be praying that God brings them to a place of want to. 
Because otherwise, you're just beating your head up against the wall. And so, so they have to have the want to, and only God can really begin to do that in their life. And then you can help them with the how-to. And that's why Jesus is asking that question. So that's A, accept Christ's invitation. B, believe Christ is your soul rest. Believe that Christ is your soul rest. Now notice verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So do you hear what this guy is saying? This is why it's important when you study the, the Bible, you have to really slow down and really focus in on it and think about it. And this man is saying, yes, please help me get my salvation, not you are my salvation. He's not saying that. He's saying, help me get my salvation. We all tend to turn to Christ because something has gone wrong in our life. Our marriage, our career, our kids, our health, our finances, our relationships. And man, we hit, we hit the floor, start praying, crying out to God. Nothing wrong with that. But you've got to understand that you're using God uh, at, at that moment, and uh, we all tend to turn to Christ because something has gone wrong in our life, and we come to Christ to help us get in the water, our pool of Bethesda. If Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you could just help me get in the water, everything would be cool, I'd be complete, I would reach really a sense of wholeness and completeness in my life. And these, these are things of my salvation, we say, and I would be quite willing to partner with Jesus if he would help me. Like I said, Christ becomes a means to an end rather than the end. And little do we know that there were the things that we're asking Jesus for, that if we could just have an encounter with him, and by the way, like I said, there's nothing wrong with coming to him to get things from him, but at some point in your life, you have to come to terms with the fact that, you know what, he is better than anything that you will ever receive from him. Whether your marriage gets better or not, whether your kids go in the right direction or not, whether your career goes the way you had always hoped it would go, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, regardless of whether that ever changes or not, if you have him, I'm telling you, if you have him, he is better. He's better than anything you could ever receive from him. I mean, that's the truth. Praise God. Yeah. And so sometimes it's important to notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus does not offer to help him into the pool. You know, you know what, as, as I go through these, listen to, to what, you know, I've heard good Christian, maybe not so good Christian counseling, or Christian counseling sounds something like this. Well, we'll help you get what you've always desired. Well, that's not good counseling. No, help them to see Jesus in the midst of that, and whether they get it or not, they'll have him. Offer to help him, so Jesus does not offer to help him to get him to pull. He doesn't encourage him that someday he will certainly be first. Hang in there. Keep battling. Or Jesus does not make him more comfortable where he is. Well, it's not so bad. Whether you get in the pool or not, you have a really good pad here that you're laying on for 38 years. I've heard people give people counsel like that. It's just, it's what? Or argue with the man about his theological shortcomings. Like, hey, dude, you know what? You know, that water is stirring not because an angel. 
There's a surge from that spring that feeds it. That's bad theology. Come on. Come on, dude. Sounds like a lot of legalists I know. They'll lecture you on Scripture and never really offer any kind of help or point you to Jesus. So if you want soul rest, what you have to do, and if you want to believe, if you've got to believe Christ is your soul rest, first thing you need to do is identify what your soul is resting in and replace it with Christ. And all you've got to do is go back to your nursing, cursing, and rehearsing. Look at your anxiety, your level of anxiety, your anger, your depression. So whatever you're putting your sense of wholeness in or wanting completeness from something or someone, it's telling you that it's letting you down because of your emotional response. It's as simple as that. Not to say that we shouldn't have any emotions. Certainly we should, but it shouldn't be inordinate. It shouldn't be out of control. It shouldn't lead us into sleepless and nights of anxiety and bitterness and, and the nursing, cursing, and rehearsing in our lives. The wonderful message of the gospel is that what we have been looking for and longing for in all the pools of life is what Jesus offers. If you remember the verses I shared with you last week in uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, when the psalmist is talking to himself, he's saying, why are you downcast on my soul? Why Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. As you get through that, as he's kind of working through this, he comes to the chapter 42, which is the same topic, and he says, I will go to God, my exceeding joy. He realizes that everything he needs, everything he's ever longed for, everything he wants is found in God, his exceeding joy. I love that description, my exceeding joy. My exceeding joy. So when you feel, okay, so this is how it works, okay? I I want to be practical here. Your heart is just off, you know, off the meter, just boom, just you're stressed out, you're angry, you're upset, you're nursing, cursing, rehearsing. What do you do? Go to God. He's inviting you. A, accept his invitation. B, believe that he is your soul rest, that he will satisfy and bring rest to your soul. Go to him. Look to him. I love the testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata quadriplegic for 55 years. She's written some really good books. She has a powerful ministry. I don't think she would have ever had this powerful ministry if it wasn't for the fact that she, she became a quadriplegic when she was 16 years old, wasn't a believer, and then became a believer. And this is what she would say even to this day, and I've heard her say this, I would rather be in this wheelchair and know Jesus than outside of this wheelchair without him. And she's in extreme pain regularly, excruciating pain. And yet, I have Jesus, and that is more than enough. Whether he heals me or not, I have him. He is my soul rest. He is better than life. And, um, and so, accept Christ's invitation. Believe Christ is your soul rest. Here's the third one. Commit to all that Christ commands. Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Let's stop there just for a minute. Let's kind of focus on that that one verse. So Jesus is telling this man, get up. Get going. Come on. Jesus healed this man, but he could have continued to sit there for 38 years. You can be healed and continue to sit 
in the misery of your past. Now, I understand there are stages of, of grief. We talked about it during our series at the beginning of this year on uh, wholeness in a broken world. And I understand there are stages of grief. There is an, a measure of nursing, cursing, and rehearsing as you kind of work through that. And, and that's important. And, and, to, and you really need to do that just to get healing from your losses. And, but, there's, but there's a limit to that. At some point, you have to move on. And uh, let me... Let me just say that if, if I die and Nancy gets over it in two weeks, then you need to investigate my death as a murder, okay? <laughs> and uh, and because, because I just need to tell you this, it's just between us right here, okay? Because she's nowhere to be found. She might be out there somewhere. She's probably not listening to me right now, but this is just between us. Okay, you guys okay with that? Don't you dare talk to her about anything that we're saying here. But we, we've watched a lot of murder mysteries, and when we watch those, she's taking a lot of notes, okay? Okay? So if she gets over in a couple weeks, there's a problem. But, but I don't know how long she will grieve it. I hope it's more than two weeks. But, uh, but at some point, she's got to move on with her life. Would you agree with that? And so and that, that, that's part of it. That's important. But at some point, and it's different for everyone, you have to move on at some point point you must stop wallowing in your nursing cursing and rehearsing and you want to beware of the paralysis of analysis we were talking about this in our staff meeting Uh, one of our staff members is a counselor and he talked about dealing with people in their grief and problems and he said the tendency is for us to get stuck in the why why did this happen and he said as a counselor he's tried to move people beyond the why to the what what should I do in response to this so the paralysis of analysis kind of gets you stuck in the why. Why did this happen? It's back into the nursing, cursing, and rehearsing rather than to say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? How, do? how should I respond? Help me with this. Help me to get through this. So let me ask you this question. Is there, is there anything that Jesus has delivered you from that you are still sitting in? Physically, spiritually, Emotionally, relationally, financially. Listen, you can't go forward if you keep looking back. You can't go forward if you keep looking back. By the way, after what we went through this last year, I have to confess, man, I I still am working through it in my own life. I tend to look back and do a little nursing, cursing, and rehearsing. Uh, And not so much as I used to. God's bringing a lot of freedom to my life. But I recognize that in my own life, and, I, and I, I'm reminded, the Holy Spirit reminded me, wait, 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 you can't go forward if you keep looking back. And man, I'm telling you, when I, when I look forward to see what God has in store for us, I'm telling you, He has some great things in store for us. In fact, we're seeing a lot of great things happen here, even currently at Desert Breeze. It's absolutely amazing. I'm just blown away. I've never been more excited about what God's doing here. But man, I, I can so easily get bogged down so quickly by looking back, you can't, listen to me, you can't go forward if you keep looking back. That's the reason why Paul says, Philippians 3.13, one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. So how do we do that? We must trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You guys remember that song? Than to trust and obey. Trust him and obey him. Get up. 
Get going. Get moving. God, how do you want me to respond to this? Help me. Help me to honor you with my obedience to you, even in the midst of this difficulty. You are my soul rest, God. I'm, I'm responding to your invitation of healing. You're my soul rest, and now I want to obey you. Now, let me just talk about obedience just for a minute because, because there's a lie deep in our heart that goes all the way back to the garden, and it goes like this. If you obey God, you're not going to be happy. It goes all the way back to the garden. He's holding out on you. You know what? God is a happiness killer. That's the lie of the enemy. Listen to me. You'll never be smack dab in the middle of the sweet spot of life unless, unless you accept his invitation, believe that he is your, your soul rest, and obey him fully in every area of your life. That is the best way to live your life. There's nothing more satisfying and fulfilling and fruitful there's nothing. That's a lie. That's, right. That's a lie. The more you align your life up with his word, oh my goodness. See, his word, he gave us his word because he loves us. In his love, he wants the very best for us. In his wisdom, he knows what is the very best for us. So the more you live your life according to him and his word, oh my goodness. It tells us in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So why do we need it? Because our world of sin and suffering has a crippling effect. How do we get it? Accept Christ's invitation, believe Christ as your soul rest and commit to all that Christ commands. Now what is this exactly? Now let me continue reading here. Verse 9, the last part of verse 9, now that day was the Sabbath. You're wondering where I get all this soul rest. It's right here. And uh, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. These guys are so stinking hateful. Can I use the word stinking? Okay, I just did. These guys are horribly uh, hateful. There's no love in their heart. This guy just was healed from 38 years of being an invalid, and they're concerned about keeping Sabbath rules. You know a few people like that? I do. It's all about law, no love, all about rules, no relationship. But he answered them, the man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He kicked the can right down the road. Just like, not my fault. Some guy came in here and told me to pick up my bed, and that's what I'm doing. Does that seem weird? He's just like, don't blame it on me. And they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know it was who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Look at verse 14. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Stop there just for a minute. So what is he talking about there? Now, it could be a couple of different things. It could be that his sin led to his suffering. That can happen, but not always. Because we have a whole book in the Old Testament, Job, 
that it actually tells us that he was blameless, upright, feared God, turned from evil, and he experienced terrible suffering. So sometimes it can be sowing and reaping, you've brought it on yourself, or it could be the fact that we live in a fallen world and sin has a rippling effect, or it could be we have an adversary that's out after us and he's trying to take us down. And and so he could be talking about, he could be talking about primarily, hey, you sowed the seeds and, and you reaped the consequences and don't Stop sinning, or you're going to reap even worse consequences. I also think that possibly this could be a warning that physical suffering in this world is a dim glimpse of the eternal suffering that awaits those who refuse to repent and believe in in Jesus. Every time we see physical suffering or any kind of suffering, we should be reminded of the fact that that's what awaits everyone who doesn't know Jesus. In fact, that is the consequences of people turning away from Christ. All the sin and suffering in this world is a result of our rebellion against a holy, righteous, loving God. And that's what he could be talking about also, just saying, hey, let this be a reminder. These are the consequences of sin. Now, they might not be directly directed to him, but it could be just, hey, that, that's this, the world we live in. And so look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So check this out. So this guy... Jesus comes back to him and says, hey, stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. And immediately, where does this guy go? He went and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's people that in our culture today would say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. It's all over the Bible. It's right here. Jesus claiming to be God, and you see it throughout the Gospel of John. And so... Let me, let me just give you a couple points here before we move on. Anytime you find yourself arguing with the Son of God, you need to rethink your position, okay? Does that make sense? That's the Pharisees. They're arguing with him over the Sabbath. And, uh, and anytime you come off holier than Jesus, there's a problem. Like, we're holier than Jesus. He's breaking the Sabbath. We know better. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now, now listen to me. Spiritual disciplines, the practice of Sabbath rest is not about bondage making, but bondage breaking. When you do your spiritual disciplines and we take out time, you know, one day a week to connect with God, it's to... It's to do some soul care so that we can have soul rest. It's not another list of rules that we have to work through somehow to appease God. No, we already have relationship with God. We want to connect with him so that we can, we can refocus on him and, and not go to anything and everything else for our soul rest, but look to him and find soul rest in him. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. Now, Let's, let's look at another point here just r- real quickly before we finish up. This guy not only doesn't respond with belief after Jesus interacts with him, but the minute he figures out who Jesus is, what does he do? He throws Jesus under the bus. 
if Jesus heals you, at least cover for him, okay? <laughs> this is crazy. He goes, right, he goes right to the Jews and says, hey, you know that dude that healed me? It's Jesus. Go get him. And um, that's not how it's supposed to end. Jesus, Jesus ends this man's suffering, and this man begins Jesus' suffering, and this is the beginning of Jesus' persecution that leads all the way to crucifixion. In fact, when you look at, as, as John is writing this, now we've come into this season of Jesus' ministry where persecution begins to pick up enormously. And this guy is the cause. Now, let me just say something about ministry here. That's how ministry is sometimes. If you've been involved in ministry as long as Nancy and I have been, 30 years, some of you have, and some of you have been even longer that it goes like this, I help you and you hurt me. And that's what happened to Jesus in this story. Now, not everybody, thank God, but when you minister to people, sometimes they will hurt you. And, and, and so be ready for that in ministry and be okay with that. Don't get your soul rest and soul care from the people you're ministering to. Get it from God, then therefore you'll be able to better respond to that and you'll be able to and, and, and work through that. Now, a lot of people think the message of the, of the Bible is God saves the worthy because they look at this guy and they go, what? You know, he should have responded to Jesus and he didn't and he just kind of goes off his merry way and we don't even know whether or not he actually comes to faith in Christ. And that's sometimes what happens in ministry. And, and so we have this idea that God saves the worthy. But that wouldn't be grace because grace is unmerited favor. But the message of the Bible is that God gives his grace to people who don't seek it, don't deserve it, and don't even appreciate it when they get it. That's this man. And then there are others that, that God gives his grace through Jesus to those who don't seek it, who don't deserve it, and when they understand what they have, they're overwhelmed by it, and they receive it. Do you notice the contrast between this man and the man that we studied last week? Remember the official? His sick and dying son? He goes to Jesus. Jesus heals his son. And how does he respond? Him and his whole household committed to Christ and followed Christ and loved Christ and responded to it. So you really only have two choices. And I believe that God offers his grace to everyone, everyone. And when he gives his grace to you and he brings healings into your life, whether you're a believer or not, I've seen that happen, whether it be through medicine or a miracle or a combination of both or any number of things, people don't realize that that's all the grace of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, whether you're a believer or not. And he's offering his grace to you. And he gives his grace to those that are not seeking it or deserve it. And then when they get it, they don't even realize it. And they don't even really truly appreciate it. But if those that would begin to see, oh, this is from God. He loves me. He cares for me. Receive it. Respond to it. Here's the last few points. So what is this soul rest? We are sinners saved by Christ's work, not ours. Not our work. The day of rest, Sabbath, points to this soul rest. The rabbis all taught 
that the only person who could work on the Sabbath without sinning was God. And that's why Jesus says in verse 17, my father is working until now, and I'm working. Jesus claiming to be God. Matthew 12, 8, Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's what the Sabbath is all about. There is no sin or suffering that is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. No matter what you're going through, he can restore you. He can redeem you. It's about fixing that which is broken. That's the gospel, and it's his work. It's not our work trying to, trying to earn it in some way. Now, think about this. If it's all based on his work, then that should bring peace regardless of what you're going through. So the peace with God should bring a peace of God that guards your heart and mind. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not achieved, it's received, received it. Have you received the grace that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ? And then the next one, I have nothing to prove and nothing to lose when I rest in the finished work of Christ. John 19, 30, Jesus on the cross, he said seven different statements. One of those statements was this, it is finished, paid in full, Jesus paid it all. He purchased, he purchased not only our forgiveness of sins and, and, your, and our unshakable identity as a child of God and our perfect and secure access to the Father 24-7, and he purchased our every answer to prayer, but, but last but not least, our ticket to heaven. He's purchased everything. It's ours now, today, to live out in the reality of what he offers. And in fact, the only person you really need to prove yourself to has already said, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That should be ringing in our soul, and that should bring that soul rest that we so desperately need. I started the message by talking about uh, Psalm 3, 1, where David says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. I lay down and slept I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. How did he get that? Well, where did he get that? These verses have been soul care, soul rest verses for me in 2020 and, and, and on to 2021. And here's the key, and it's verse three of, of Psalm, Psalm three. So Psalm three, three. This is a great memory verse. You are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of problems, in the midst of difficulties, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I rest from feelings of fear and anxiety because you are my shield. I rest from feelings of failure and rejection because you are my glory. I rest from feelings of despair because you are the lifter of my head. And here's the last point. This fills me with a grateful joy that empowers the greatest work. So Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And what does that work do in our lives? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't work for my soul rest. I work from my soul rest in Christ and therefore better able to respond to my marriage, my career, my kids, my health, my finances, and my relationships for God's glory. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts this morning for communion. So Father God, this world of sin and suffering has a crippling effect on all of us and we tend to look to anything other than you, as our source of healing and wholeness. And it leaves us filled with self-pity and bitterness and, and stuck in the past. We nurse, we curse, we rehearse our past. So this morning, we, we accept Christ's invitation. We believe that he is our soul rest. 
and commit to following all of his commands. We are overwhelmed by your grace that we are saved by Christ's work, not ours. And therefore, the pressure is off. And we have nothing to prove, nothing to lose when we rest in your finished work. May it fill us with a, with a grateful joy that empowers the greatest work for your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. They're going to be handing out the elements. Take both of them, and uh, I will walk us through the process in just a moment. This is a good time for us to, uh, to identify those things that we tend to look to for our, our soul rest other than Christ and then replace them with Christ. What are those things that you tend to, you would call your, your pool of Bethesda, your place of wholeness and completeness? We talked about it last week in um, Gospel Logic, Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Do you hear the logic in that? If you took care of your worst problem, your worst problem is that your eternal separation from God. Your sin separates you from God. And the gospel is that God is the good news that God has reconciled you to himself by sending his son to die in your place for your sins. And so the logic is that if he took care of your worst problem, he's got all of your other problems taken care of too. Because if he didn't spare his own son in rescuing you, listen to me, he's not going to spare anything else in taking care of you. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever it might be, he won't spare anything else. He loves you. No one loves you like him. So when we take these elements, that's what we're celebrating. It's like, oh my goodness, no one has loved me like you, Jesus. And if you didn't spare your own son, God, you're not going to spare anything else in taking care of me. So, so God, may that bring soul rest. May I rest in you. May I rest in you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, for I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Easter is three weeks away. I would encourage you to grab some of those cards and pass them out to your family and friends and uh, invite them to our Easter weekend services. We will do, if you've made a confession of faith this morning, I'd love to pray with you about that. Or you made a confession of faith in the past and yet you haven't been baptized. We'd love to baptize you on Easter weekend. It'd be a beautiful day to make that public declaration of your faith in Jesus. So we have a, about a 10-minute class at the end of this service right over here in this area. So, so we will sit down and walk you through the process. Um, 
My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service here along with any available elders. If you are new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you. Here's my blessing for you. It's at one of the cross-references I had in your notes. It's Zephaniah 3.17, and this is how the only person who you need to prove yourself to feels about you. Desert Breeze, listen to me. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will comfort you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.